Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! I'm the Doctor. And welcome to the 35th episode of Charlie's Geek Cast. I am your host, Charlie Niemeyer, and this time out, we're continuing our look at the Batman Adventures Volume 1 by looking at Batman Adventures number 14. But first, since this issue came out in October of 1993, I thought we'd take a quick look at some of the other stuff that was happening in the DCU at this time. Going in basically publication date, but alphabetical based on the public. Uh, I don't know how this is sorted exactly, but anyway, uh, let's see. And I'm only going to focus on a few books because I wasn't reading everything. But in Action Comics number 693, the Eradicator gets a new lease on life. Uh, the fir the first two collections of Nightfall come out. Uh, they break it up into two parts. Part one is the Broken Bat, which basically covers Bruce Wayne's half of the story, and then part two is Who Rules the Night, which basically covers from there to the end of Nightfall. Uh, over in Shadow of the Bat 21, Night Quest The Search begins, following Bruce Wayne as he heads over to Jolly Old England to see if he can find Chandra Kinsolving and Tim Drake's dad, Jack. Uh, this has nothing to do with the comics that I was reading at the time, but um, the DC Comics adaptation of the movie Demolition Man, starring Sylvester Stallone and Wesley, Snipe, Wesley Snipes, came out this month. The second issue of Metal Men came out, and that was, I remember the ads because it was done by the team that brought you The Death of Superman. It's written by Mike Carlin, drawn by Dan Jurgens, and inked by Brett Breeding. I have not read this. I haven't even seen this yet, so I have no idea if it's any good. Uh, Robin gets his own, his own new solo title, ongoing, not a miniseries. Starting with issue number one, which picks up from the end of the Detective Comics issue last time. Uh, he gets a new car called the Red Bird. And he hightails it out of the Batcave, and he won't be back for a while. Uh, he's going to be on his own solo adventures. He's got a great... It's got two covers. One's a fancy-looking one uh, with, like, a metalish thing on it where he's busting through a window. And the regular cover is basically him dodging gunfire while jumping over his car. Uh, this premieres the new artist on Robin from, of Tom Grummet, who basically at this point kind of becomes the teen hero penciler as he's going to be starting Superboy pretty soon, and now he has Robin. Uh, this is written by Chuck Dixon with things by Ray Creasing, Creasing? and um, actually I think this first issue is inked by Scott Hanna now that I think about it, but anyway, uh, it's a fun book. 
Chuck Dacing does, does a lot of great stuff with Robin, and I highly recommend it. Uh, so, yes, check this out. It kind of sucks that the first issue picks up from another book. Because, uh, you know, it's kind of annoying. But anyway, uh, Batman number 502, Batman takes on, I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, the mechanical soldier killer guy. Looks like they're in a refrigerator unit of some kind. Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween Special Number 1 came out. Which is the first time, I believe, that Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale worked together on a Batman story. Uh, Bloodbath Number 1. I only mention this because this is bringing an end to the whole blood everything thing going on in the annuals that year. Um... Yeah, now they can bring the real Superman into it because he's alive again. Yay. Uh, again, I have heard nothing good about that, and the art looks like crud. Although the cover doesn't look bad, but it's Ed Hannigan, and I think he's a pretty good artist. Flash number 85 is part is the conclusion of Flash's fight against Razor. Which actually uh, sets up some stuff coming up in the next few issues involving... Uh, not saving someone because he doesn't know that they're in trouble that they're trapped in under some wreckage and uh yeah that's going to lead to him getting sued later on superman the man of steel number 28 uh which has some terrible guest art by chuck i don't know how to say his last name i'm sorry uh but yeah he's not my favorite superman artist and he's going to do at least one or two more issues of man of steel the art I, I disliked the art so bad that I cannot remember what happens in this issue. It's a fairly nondescript cover by John Bogdanov, uh that does not tell you anything about what happens in the issue itself. Uh, Superman, The Return of Superman trade paperback came out this month, uh, collecting basically the four little um, bits from uh, Adventures of Superman 500. And going all the way to Superman 82 with a little bit at the end from last month's Action Comics number 693. Just enough to bring some closure to uh, the Clark Kent side of it. Let's see. Shadow of Bat number 22 came out also this month. Continuing the story of Night Quest The Search. Bloodbath number 2. Oh, Bloodbath must have been a weekly thing. Oh, that must have really sucked. Unless you liked it, though, which must have been really good. But, uh, let's see. Wonder Woman guest stars in Hawkman number four, if that tells you anything about what happens in that issue. Uh, Superman number 84. Superman and Lois decide to go on a vaca- on a little trip to Paris. And in the meantime, the toy man decides to be all dark and kills Adam Grant. Detective Comics number 669 has... The new Batman taking on the Trigger Twins in a train robbery. It's also the uh, the introduction of the uh, the Bat Train car, whatever you call it, Bat Rocket. I think it's the Bat Rocket. That's really cool. Uh, let's see. Batman Two Face Strikes Twice is a two issue, I think, prestige format book that they put out. Uh, I want to say that that has uh, like two stories in it. Depending on how, which way you're facing the book. One way it looks like a Golden Age story. As if it was drawn by Dick Sprang. And the other way it looks more like a modern story. The other half. I don't know. 
I've only had a chance to glance at it. I haven't actually read through it, but um, the cover very much looks like a Dick Sprang cover. It might actually be a Dick Sprang cover um, featuring Two-Face, Batman, and Robin. Uh, Adventures of Superman number 507, we get the introduction of the new Bloodsport, uh, which is first introduced way back by John Byrne back in early issues of Superman. This is the new Bloodsport that's a racist. So that's fun. It's also the first cut of the Spilled Blood trilogy, which I don't know that you really needed that in a Superman book, but it's also 1993, so what do I know? Nightwing takes the front spot on Showcase 93 number 12 with an awesome-looking cover, including Green Lantern and Robin. And that's pretty much it. So that was it for that month. I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at our issue. Beginning in 2018, the Who's Who podcast enters the 1990s with our coverage of the Loose Leaf Editions. Featuring Superman by Jerry Ordway. The Joker by Brian Bolland. Wonder Woman by George Perez. Sandman by Mike Dringenberg. Batman by Norm Brayfogel. The JLI by Adam Hughes. Eclipso by Bart Sears. The Legion of Superheroes by Keith Giffen. Dark Stars by Travis Charest. Lobo by Simon Bisley. Kent Shakespeare by Chris Sprouse? Who is that? Doomsday by Tom Grummet. Wait, are we covering these by issue or in alphabetical order? The Justice Society of America by Mike Parabek. The Forever People again? You are f***ing kidding me. Doom Patrol by Richard Case. <sighs> I'm so confused. And many more. The Who's Who podcast, going boldly into the 90s. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I guess. Fox Kids is what? Fox Kids is cool! take a look at batman adventures number 14 it was cover dated november 1993 has an on sale date of october 5th 1993 and a cover price of just one dollar and 25 cents the title of the story is public enemy yes i said that right written by kelly puckett penciled by mike paragek inked by rick gurchett colored by rick taylor lettered by tim harkins Assistant edited by Darren Vincenzo, edited by Scott Peterson, and Gatman was created by Gog Kane and Gil Hinger. Alright, Batman is out of town, but there are bad guys trying to get protection money from a Gotham Deli owner. So what's the city gonna do? Fortunately, Robin's in town to save the day. After making short work of these hoods and receiving some nice Capicola, Capicola as a reward. Never heard of it. 
He returns to the Batcave, noting that he's really enjoying his return to Robin duty. Meanwhile, at Arkham Asylum, Scarface manages to surface from a tunnel he dug with a spoon. But it turns out he's just a little short and is still inside the front gate. So, mumbling that he should be working with the Joker rather than the Ventriloquist, he returns back to his tunnel. An indeterminable amount of time later, Scarface and his gang hold up the Gotham First National Bank. After some confusion over Scarface's speech impediment, we find out that the silent alarm has been activated, which means everything is going according to plan. In the Batcave, Dick tells Alfred that he's thinking about quitting school and returning to being Robin full-time. Alfred relates a story from his past, reminding Dick that he won't be able to make the right decision if he's unwilling to let go of the past. Their conversation is interrupted by an all-points bulletin on the police scheme. Soon, outside the bank, Gordon fills Robin in on the situation, although the report is that they're dealing with unknown terrorists. They do not yet realize that it's Scarface. This is all part of Scarface's plan. He's going to get everybody up on the roof. He's going to he's making all these demands for like a helicopter to the airport. Then the idea is going to get everyone up on the roof, blow the roof, and then they're going to escape in a car from the garage underneath the bank, which is basically something he got from a movie that the Ventriloquist told him about. And which is fine as long as no one else saw the movie, they should be fine, right? Uh, Gordon gives Robin 20 minutes before he's going to need to give in the, to the demand, so Robin heads in quick. He makes quick work of the guy on the roof, and then confronts Scarface, makes quick work of Scarface's men, out in public even, and frees the hostages. But Scarface has a backup plan, a huge bomb with a 60 second timer. While Robin clears out the unconscious thugs, Scarface and the ventriloquist grab as much money as they can, but on the way out of the vault, the ventriloquist slips on some money. While the ventriloquist wants to get away before the bomb explodes, Scarface is trying to claw his way back to the money. Fortunately, Robin manages to pull Ventriloquist to safety before the bomb explodes, but the puppet gets destroyed. Later at Wayne Manor, Bruce has returned and the two heroes discuss what they did while Bruce was out of town. When Dick decides it's time to head back to Gotham University, Bruce asks if anything else happened while he was gone. After sharing a quick glance at each other, Alfred and Dick both say that nothing else happened, leaving Bruce to wonder what it was that he's missed. Alright, let's start off by looking at the cover. It's simple, kind of boring, and it has no background. I mean, it's just Robin punching or kicking a guy, punching a guy. Uh, meanwhile, um, in the background, we see Scarface and Ventriloquist getting ready to blow up a bomb. So I guess there's some urgency to it, but I don't know. I, I just don't feel it. I, I think the thing that draws my attention to it is it's Batman Adventures, but it's only got Robin on the cover. So I'm like, why is only Robin there and what's going on? That would draw my attention more than what's actually happening on the cover. It's not quite as eye-catching as, like, say, last issue's cover. Uh, moving up all the way to page 5, I find it ironic that Robin is checking up on Killer Croc as he's uh, checking through and updating the back computer files. See, uh, about a year later when they're doing the Prodigal storyline in the Bat books, the main Bat books, one of the big things is, uh, well, Dick is taking over as Batman temporarily. And he's got to go up against Killer Croc, who apparently, although I think that contradicts the pre-crisis, some pre-crisis stories, but uh, apparently he's never gone up against Killer Croc before. So the fact that he's going up against, you know, dealing with that here is kind of, I find it ironic, but um, obviously it wasn't intended because I doubt that the animated comic guys knew anything about what was going on in the main books. 
Well, maybe a little bit. I think Scott Peterson edited Detective and Batman Adventures. So what do I know? Anyway, page number six and seven was the uh, two pages where Scarface and Ventriloquist think they've escaped, but they're still inside the gate. I found that funny, number one, uh, because it's very dramatic. Uh, Scarface coming up, there's lightning crackling behind him, there's a boom and everything, and he is ready to come out, and then he's like, wait a minute. The humor in a Batman book. That's really cool. You don't see that too often. That's one of the things I like about the Adventures books. Pages eight through nine. Now, as of when this issue was released, Scarface and the Ventriloquist were fairly new. They'd only been created by Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle a couple of years earlier. And that version of the character gave Scarface, and really any of Ventriloquist's puppets later on, uh, a speech quirk where all the Bs came out as Gs, which is what I was doing earlier. They don't really follow up with that on the show at all, he just talks normal, but they are showing that here in the comic. There's even a page later on that explains why this is happening. Apparently he's got his lip, his lips ripped off. Of course, by the time he shows up in the show again, he's back to saying his Bs like normal, but in the comic, we have something closer to what you might be used to if you had read his appearances earlier in the books. Page 10, we get quick cameos from the giant Penny, the T-Rex, and then on the back computer screen, we see Mad Hatter and Hugo Strange. I'm not 100% sure that Mad Hatter actually shows up in this volume of Batman Adventures, and Hugo Strange doesn't show up until the very, very end. Uh, page 11, it's an interesting way for Alfred to give his opinion without giving it outright, because he says specifically, even though I... He, this is him, he's making the decision... Because he had a decision to make whether to follow his father as a manservant or to continue to act. He really loved the acting, but he knew that even though it wasn't for him, it was still very difficult to leave it behind. So basically, he's kind of giving his opinion without specifically saying, you're making the wrong decision. You need to go back to school. Very good, Alfred. Page 12. Uh, Gordon is actually happy to see Robin without Batman. Now, without doing anything else, this seems to insinuate to me anyway that he's fully aware that Batman's out of town and that Robin is holding on the fort while he's gone. This also is a teenage, well, college-age Robin. Therefore, he knows he's got enough experience to be able to handle the situation, which is also really cool. I mean, granted, Gordon didn't use the bat signal to call Robin in, but I'm not 100% sure this is night. It looked like the robbery was starting at, during the day. There's a lot of people in the bank. And banks don't usually stay open that late. Seriously, we don't really see much of the sky after this. And when we do, it's a, it's kind of a blue. So page 16 and 17, we have a nice action scene, as we always get, thanks to Parabek. But sometimes they forget that Robin wears this one full mask, domino mask over his face, as opposed to just the two little eye things. It's something that also happens with Green Arrow a lot. That little bit right in the middle part that covers your uh, the bridge of your of the nose, kind of in the eyebrow. Sometimes it gets left out. I never understood why that happens, but it it does. And it's not like he's got a heavy eyebrow or anything. I don't, even, I don't know. Anyway, pages nineteen through twenty one, we have a great way to show Ventriloquist's fractured psyche. He's literally struggling against himself. He is scared that that bomb's going to go off and is desperately trying to get away, but the puppet is trying to get the money. And of course, like most Scarface stories, Scarface usually is destroyed by the end of the story. At least in the animated series verse, uh, it seems like every time the story ends with someone with the head falling from the sky and 
it being busted and stuff. And then on page 22, you had to know that Dick was going to go back to school as not to contradict the show. But I really like the humor they used here. I mean, when was the last time that Bruce didn't know what was going on? We also, on this page, get confirmation that Talia apparently did leave the microfilm in the statue last issue, but that Raish had already rendered most of it obsolete, which kind of makes the whole thing pointless. So I'm not sure. Maybe she pulled a switch on the microfilm? I'm, I'm not sure. It still leaves it dangling, because why would they go through all that from last issue just to... Oh, wait a minute. Why would they go through all that to go after the statue? Could it have been all set up by Talia so that they would have time together in Paris? It sounds like a Bat-Villain type of deal, especially with the Al Ghouls. Maybe? I have no, no idea. I just thought of that as I'm sitting here recording. I don't even have that in my notes. So the fact that they might be doing that is uh, pretty crazy. In the letters pages, the king, who has a secret address, and Courtney, man, Courtney, from Upland, California, were the winners of the free original artwork from the Batman Adventures art team uh, for their letters talking about issue number 10, which, had, which was the one with the Riddler as well as the Professor Mastermind and Mr. Nice. Next issue, make way for the new dynamic duo. When an undercover cop gets captured by Rupert Thorne, only one pair has a chance of saving him. Batman and Commissioner Gordon. Be here for Badge of Honor by Kelly, Mike, Rick, Rick, and Tim. See you then. Scott Peterson demoed his slugging percentage. And that's going to do it for this issue of, well, this episode, sorry, issue so of Charlie's Geek Cast. I hope everyone enjoyed this one. I want to thank you all for listening. And uh, this time out, we're going to leave you uh, with the number one song. Oh, no, actually, <laughs> can't be the number one song because the number one song this week uh, was Dream Lover again by Mariah Carey, which was the same as last time. So instead, we're going to go with the number two song, which is Right Here, Human Nature by SWV. So thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's Keycast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening and good night. Boy,